Comedian George Burns said, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. So we all, we all have to identify with that at least a little bit, but, you know, families are really awesome. Aren't we glad for families? They're so much fun. Some families are so welcoming and hospitable and have so much fun together that they make you feel like you're actually part of their family. Have you ever experienced that? You're not really part of the family, but in some ways, from the outside, you wish you could be. And that kind of family makes people feel at home, um, uh, like they're, they're part of the family, and yet they know that, look, I'm just one of the friends, and, and though I'm loved, and though I'm included, the deepest affection is reserved for the members of the family. I love having children in our home, I love watching our kids play together and all of that, But you know, my deepest affection is for my own kids, Uh, even though I love other children. And I think this is how the church should be, like a warm and hospitable family. The deepest affection and commitment is naturally between the family members, but others are drawn into the love and affection shared by the family. The church is the superlative family because of the unity that they experience in Christ alone and because new family members are constantly being added all the time. Where a family stops growing, at least at some point, the church continues to grow. It just keeps going. You know, more family members and more family members are are added. When you come to Christ, you gain a huge loving family. You have a place at the table you share in the deepest affection. This is, this is what I'd like to focus today. Uh, where I'd like to put our attention is on this whole family idea, how I long for Jerusalem Church to be a healthy, affectionate family. Now let's continue with the ninth mark in our series. A healthy church, number nine, warmly welcomes everyone. A healthy church doesn't care about appearances or stereotypes. It doesn't care about status because a healthy church is determined to show love to everyone, to show affection and genuine interest to everyone. Pretense deters people. Kindness draws people. Now, I love this about Jerusalem Church. I think Jerusalem Church is a very welcoming place. This is a welcoming church, and that's because a bunch of you take the initiative to reach out to one another, to reach out to our guests, and to make them uh, feel loved and, and to show genuine interest. Now, have you ever visited an us for and no more church? Everyone seems to belong except you. You're looking around, I, I don't think I fit here. Um, this is, this is the type of church that it's obvious that there is a tight community that you're not a part of. Or have you been to the happy-to-show-you-apathy church? Um, no one seems to even care or maybe notice that you're even there. You may get the customary, good morning, good morning. Uh, but no one really welcomes you, and so the sign outside seems to be the most friendly, welcoming thing uh, of the morning. A couple we know, we love them from Pittsburgh, they, they would go to uh, the church where the wife grew up and visit when they were in the area, and one Sunday morning, the pastor just didn't show for some reason. Now, they did share a pastor with a few churches, but there was no pastor, 
And so they knew that Bruce, our friend, was in church work, and they said, Bruce works in the church. He can preach today. That's not welcoming. That's not healthy. I've heard of people showing up for the first time at a church and being asked to teach Sunday school. That's not warm. That's not friendly, and that's not healthy. It's pretty basic. A healthy church is a place for authentic love and friendship. If you need some friends, go to a healthy church because you will immediately gain friends that will love you. Yes, they will be imperfect, no doubt, but devout followers of Jesus make excellent friends because they know Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus was radical. He said in Luke 6, 35, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be Sons of the Most High. And then he said this, For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The love that we are to show for other people is rooted in the kindness that God shows the ungrateful and the evil. Why warmly welcome everybody? Well, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's the gospel. Think of Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. God lovingly pursued us while we were yet sinners. Think about that. God welcomes you through his son, Jesus Christ. The worst of sinners through Jesus Christ gets welcomed by a loving heavenly father. Does welcoming everyone mean that we approve of their sinful lifestyle, the messiness that they bring, the choices that they made? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Showing kindness isn't affirming someone's lifestyle. Look at Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners came and reclined with Jesus and his disciples. That offended some, so Jesus responded, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and the lost bring with them a whole host of ugly and messy problems. My dad used to say the church is a hospital, not a museum. We're not here to show off. We're here to help and to heal and to nurture. In a lot of ways, the church is a messy place. And in some ways, that's good because we're in the business of seeing people redeemed and people grow in Christ. Who shouldn't we welcome? Who shouldn't we help? And we don't have to compromise any of the truth in order to show kindness. We show unconditional love as we hold to the truth. Should we welcome dangerous people? What about sex offenders, drug addicts, or convicts? I believe God wants us to show them kindness as well, though in a thoughtful and calculated way. We must proceed with certain guidelines and accountability depending on the circumstance. For sex offenders, we may hold an alternative adult-only worship service or Bible study. For convicts, we may work with the, the local police to hold a special worship service in another location perhaps, or whatever is judicious. With some care, calculation, and creativity, healthy churches can warmly welcome anybody. 
They can minister to anybody. They can minister to those that the culture would consider the worst of these. They just have, have to have some strategy behind it and have to think through some, some tough things. A healthy church sees the image of God in everyone. They know that every human being has worth and value because they were made in the image of God and they want to reach that person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they welcome, indiscriminately welcome everyone with kindness. A healthy church, number 10, sets high standards for membership. Sets high standards for membership. A healthy church, they welcome everybody, but at the same time, they put great emphasis on committed membership, and and they have high biblical standards for membership. Now, the church, by definition, is God's people. It's the body of Christ. It's believers. It's not a building. It's not a bunch of programs. It's people. Everyone is welcome, but only committed followers of Jesus should become members of the local church and be held to the highest biblical standards. Now, let's keep it simple. If we truly love Jesus, we will love what He loves, right? If we truly love Jesus, then what He loves, we will also love because we love Him and we want to love what He loves. Well, Jesus radically loves the church, Jesus gave his life for the church. He serves the church. He encourages the church. He builds up the church. He cares for the church. And he is always with the church. If our love for Jesus is real, we will love each other. You could punctuate that with a period. It will happen. If we love Jesus, we will also love each other, the church. You could say it this way. When you commit to Jesus, you also commit to love the church. Listen to 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. A liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And brother in that, in that context means fellow Christians. Anyone can say, I love God. I'm committed to Christ. And then you look at their life and say, that's peculiar. It certainly doesn't look like Jesus is most precious to you. See, it is only those who really do love God that devote their lives to loving and serving their brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. Anyone can say, I follow Jesus, but only those who really do commit themselves to each other, the church. This is what Charles Spurgeon said about membership. Sometimes you read some of these older guys and you're blown away by how they said it. Some of it's like, I'm not sure I would have said that. But they did, so I'll read them. Quoting now, quoting Charles Spurgeon. I know there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I don't intend to give myself to any church. I say, now why not? And they answer, because I can be just as good a Christian without it. I say, are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient? There's a brick. What is the brick made for? It's made to build a house. It is of no use for the brick to tell you that it's just as good a brick while it's kicking about on the ground by itself and it would be as part of a house. Actually, it's a good-for-nothing brick. 
So you Rolling Stone Christians, I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. End of quote. That's worth thinking about. That's worth thinking about. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is going to beat the church that Christ is building? What what is there that's going to come up against that's going to stop the growth of Jesus Christ in His church? Jesus is building a grand cathedral of worship with people. With people, not bricks. As Spurgeon would put it, the separated bricks who prefer to just do it on themselves, do it, do it by themselves, who are somehow living in isolation, are good-for-nothing bricks that are injuring the grand cathedral. Think about Christians in persecuted countries, in countries like North Korea, Somalia, Syria, and Iraq, where the cost of church membership could be their life. In some places, being caught with a Bible is grounds for execution or prison for life. Would you get rid of yours? Christians are persecuted in China, yet membership in the house church movement is growing exponentially. China is on course to be the world's most Christian nation in 15 years. The church in China is experiencing such rapid growth there aren't enough trained pastors to keep up with its growth. Friends, membership in the church is nothing like a country club. It's not like a gym membership. Think of the great commitment given by Christians in persecuted countries. Church membership in many places is risk. It's risk. Yet people joyfully join the church because they love Christ and they love their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we have that kind of love and devotion to Christ and that kind of love and devotion to each other? If we love God, we will love and be devoted to each other. Didn't he tell us that? I think so many people have a low commitment to the church because they have such a low commitment to Christ. A lot of people are more committed to their sports teams than to their church. Do you disagree with that? Isn't that sad? Think of how those people miss out. But Christ, as the head and leader of the church, is so gracious in our apathy. He extends patience. He extends love and kindness and warmly calls us to give our lives for Him even when we have belittled Him and His glory. He never stops pursuing us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. God is good. Despite our apathy, Christ is building His church. Now, is joining a local church biblical? You know, some ask the question, because a lot of churches, they, they don't have local church membership per se. So we ask the question, is this really in there? Is it biblical? Well, everyone who is truly saved is a member of the church universal. They're, they're part of the body of Christ. They are part of the family of God. But what about local church membership? As in, here is a church, and here is a church, and I belong to this one. Pastor and author Matt Chandler was, was helpful to me at this point. And he used Hebrews 13, 17 to make a great point that I, that I want to share with you. This is what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, that only makes sense in the context of a local church membership. Should all of us here be obedient and submissive to the leaders of LCBC? 
or Mannheim BIC, or LEFC, or CCECCCC, and all the other C's out there, CCC. Of course not. Should our elders keep watch over the souls of the thousands of members of those churches? Of course not. Hebrews 13, 17 applies to members of a local church. Local church membership defines who submits to whom and who leads whom. Local church membership is an important step for a Christian to come under the oversight and accountability of leaders who love you and are keeping watch over your souls. That's very important in the Christian life. In 1 Peter 5, Peter tells the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The flock among those elders was the local church membership. They were to watch over those that God put beneath them. The book of Revelation is addressed to seven local churches in seven different cities of Asia. Paul wrote his letters and addressed them to churches in Corinth and Rome and Colossae and Galatia and Ephesus. Those are local churches. People were members of those local churches. Paul told Titus to appoint elders in every town. Elders of what? Doesn't that assume local membership in those towns that he was set elders over? In 1 Corinthians 5.12, Paul discussed church discipline and removing a brother from the church fellowship because of their unrepentant sin. And Paul used the phrase, inside the church. And Matt Chandler wrote in response, quote, How can you kick someone out if there isn't an in? If there is no local commitment to a covenant community of faith, then how do you remove someone from that community of faith? End of quote. That's a powerful point. That's logic, folks. That's great. Throughout the New Testament, people were committed to local churches, which means they were committed to each other. Committing to a local church is really committing to Christ and each other, an important step for Christians to take. Unless you think, oh, pastor, you want to build the roles of Jerusalem church. You're right. Done. I do. However, if you don't go to Jerusalem church, we welcome you. But wherever you do go, commit there. Commit there. There there are other good churches in Lancaster County. No, I'm just kidding. I I want there to be good churches. Praise the Lord when gospel-centered churches grow, whether it's Jerusalem or not. Just dig in and be a member and give your gifts. It's not about Jerusalem church. It's about being faithful to God's word. Why set high standards for membership in the church? That's easy. That's really easy. Nominal and uncommitted members do harm to the name of Jesus. It's that clear cut. Every time the members of a local church live like unbelievers, you could say live like hell, it harms and wounds the church and brings disgrace to the name of Jesus. I've done it. You've done it. We all need grace. But we need to commit to this because the world is watching. They see how serious we take Jesus or how not serious we take Jesus. It is so important to admit only committed Christians to church membership. Not perfect Christians, but I said committed Christians who want to follow Jesus in everything and are pursuing Him. Those are the members of the local church. Consider the high standards Jesus said. Jesus said you need to hate even your own life and bear your cross to be one of his disciples. If you don't do that, you can't be one of his disciples. He said that people will know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. 
I think it's easy to see why only committed Christians should be members of a local church. Active membership in a local church pleases God. So many people carry the heavy burdens of life alone as an island and they're not sharing the burden with us who love them and want to see them thrive and they fail to commit, to really commit to their brothers and sisters. I believe that some of the problems people and families face are directly related to their lack of commitment to the local church and could be healed if they committed themselves fully to others We need each other. Sanctus Real has a song that's encouraged me. And they go, oh, oh, we need each other. And we do. We need each other. We help each other conform to Jesus. If one of us needs some help and some tender care, we come alongside and we nurse that person to health. We care about each other. We love. We're a family. Well, real community is sanctifying. And maybe that's why a lot of people don't want it. Because it means that we, the gospel, needs to change us in our heart. And that it's practically helpful. Now, where is Jerusalem Church with membership? Let's get a little snapshot here. The elders are beginning to look at membership more closely so that we can align ourselves with the Bible. And in the past, the standards and expectations for member at Jerusalem was pretty low. We need to grow in this area. Back On July 27th, we welcomed five new members who took new membership vows, and that is something to rejoice in. They committed themselves to Jerusalem Church. I was greatly encouraged by that. We're moving in the right direction to make membership healthier here, and it's an ongoing process. Those five new members really are a testimony of the progress that we're making and the the way that God is taking us as a church. Now, in the next year, there will be a very unique membership class offered uh, that you'll be hearing more about, so I want you to stay tuned. And if you're interested in becoming a member at Jerusalem Church or even becoming a more committed member, if you're already a member, this is for you. More to come on that. You don't have to be a member. i got to be very clear about this. You don't have to be a member to be loved here. Hence the first point. Everyone is welcome, but only committed members will experience the full benefits and privileges of this church family. How does Jerusalem stack up on committed membership? I will let you decide. Statistically speaking, on any given Sunday at Jerusalem Church, more than one-third, maybe up to 50% of our members don't come to worship. That includes very few shut-ins, college students, and military. Now, that could mean several things. You could interpret that several different ways. So my question is, what does that mean for us? How would you interpret that? A rough estimate here at this church says that around 60% of our members don't come to Sunday school, which is currently, and this is interesting, our primary program for fellowship, connection, and teaching. What does that mean for us? I'll let you decide. You interpret Whatever the stats mean to you, whatever they mean, and the tons of different things that come into play when thinking through that, I think it's safe to say at least this, that our membership here at Jerusalem Church can grow healthier. That's safe ground, I think, because I think any church could say that. God can help us with that. And some of you are so deeply committed and involved in this church, and it makes my heart sing as a pastor. Oh, I love it. And God is going to radically bless you for what you give to this church and Christ. And He is blessing. 
others through your ministry. If nothing else, for those of you who have committed seriously to this church and given, and you know who you are, I am so grateful for you. I praise God for you. Some of you need to hear this, maybe right in the middle of the eyes, that you could give more. And what we need you. And I promise you that if you do, God will bless you in radical ways. He will bless you and he will use you to bless other people, which is exciting ministry. Everybody wins. This is awesome. Jesus is glorified. So as the head of the church, would Jesus describe you as a committed member? You work that out with Jesus because he's our pastor. He's our pastor. The last two points are closely related to the first two. I've said so much already, uh, so these points will be much shorter. A healthy church, number 11, loves and tenderly cares for each other. Loves and tenderly cares for each other. A healthy church takes care of each other like a family. We have each other's backs. There is a special love and care that only followers of Jesus share. Non-Christians are absolutely welcome to be here. We love it. We love them. We want them here. They are welcomed, but not in the same way as followers of Jesus. Friends of the family are deeply loved, but not with the same kind of love as the family members. Friends, they miss out on that unique intimacy that's shared among the family members because the church has as its foundation a union with Christ, a love for Christ that you can only understand and be a part of if you know Christ. So if you don't know Christ, you just, you, it's not quite right. We love you, yes, but you can't do this and that's not quite right. And so everybody's welcome, but you can't truly be in until you are united to Jesus Christ by faith. You can't fully appreciate and share in the love without knowing Jesus and committing to the church. When you encounter a phrase like love one another in the New Testament, we have to ask the question, who does the one another refer to? Along with words like we or us, it very commonly refers to Christians, the church. It's talking to the church. Many of the epistles written to the church, just talking to Christians. Love one another. John 13, 34 and 35 is an example. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, is Jesus talking about loving everyone? Who is the you? Who, who, who is the you and the one another? Who does Jesus love? He, well, listen to verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is talking about the love that is shared among his true disciples. Loving the people of God like Jesus loves them is a mark of true disciples of Jesus. That's how you can prove. If some of you struggle with the assurance of salvation, which I totally understand and identify with you on that, if you struggle with the assurance, am I in? I don't know. Look at your love for the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, because that's a mark of, that's an assurance of whether you're truly in or not. It's a great thing that God built in there. All throughout the New Testament, there are instructions on how to care for each other inside the church, and it's best summarized as love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a great summary of what love looks like practically inside the church. We gotta love like 1 Corinthians. I have so much work to do on this, it's not even funny. 
And it hurts and bruises the church. But I want to love like 1 Corinthians 13. I want to grow in this area. Paul called this kind of love Philadelphia. Have you heard that? City of brotherly love. Not quite what he meant there. But brotherly affection and love. That's what Philadelphia is. Brotherly affection and love. Paul told the Christians in Rome, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Are you in a race with the other members of Jerusalem Church to just show more honor to other people and to beat out everybody? You're just outdo one another. Go to town on loving and honoring each other. Healthy churches work really hard to love and show honor to each other. I love how Peter puts it. In 1 Peter 1, and 23, he writes to the Christians of the dispersion. This is to Christians. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again. Since you have been born again. God desires Christians to love others sincerely precisely because they're saved. Because they are born again. Here's what that means. When you're born again, love will inevitably flow from you. Because... God changed your heart, so you're now loving, and he'll give you the strength to love where you don't. To be born again is to be saved, and because you have been born again, you therefore love earnestly from a pure heart. This love is shared exclusively within the church. This is a a special kind of love. John wrote 1 John to Christians and called them beloved. What a name. If you know Jesus Christ, you are beloved this morning. By God, that's awesome. And by a whole bunch of other people who love you. And that was in chapter four, verse seven. And then he wrote this. Let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you love, that's a mark that God has poured his love into you. Every healthy church shares a deep love and fellowship with each other. Their love for each other is proof of their love for Christ. A church is dead. It's just dead when there is no genuine love for each other. Where do you go with that? Here's something for you to think about. Please consider this point. If nothing else, maybe this point. God gives the responsibility to love and care for the local church to the people, not solely the pastor. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's the model of the New Testament church? A church is very, very unhealthy if it expects the pastor to care for everybody's needs all the time. It's not to say that I shouldn't. I absolutely should. That's part of what God calls me to be as a tender shepherd. But it's not exclusively my responsibility. And if it is, we're in trouble as a church. Long term, we will probably shrivel up. A more biblical, healthy, and sustainable approach is for the church to care for each other along with the pastor. Think of it this way. Is, a, is one pastor ministering to 99 people, that's 100 people total, one person to 99 more effective and helpful, or 100 ministering to 100 now, I, I think that speaks pretty clearly, and it's biblical. I want to love you. I want to be there for you. I want to help you grow, but I am just one man, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming, even with around 100 people, to know how to best love you. I, I, there's actually a tension in my heart recently. I don't feel like I know you like I want to know you. Like I really want to get involved and know what, what makes you tick and know you as a friend and, and encourage you as a pastor, and I'm looking at the amount of people to do. I'm just like, I don't know how to do that, God. I 
And I wonder what would happen if we all took ownership of each other and helped, and then I'm trying to work it out, and then when the pastor makes a mistake, which I will and have, and I apologize if it was you, and, and someone else comes along and says, man, I'd, psh, can I just encourage you today? And then another person, then another person, and then soon enough, it's like the pastor, seven people reach me before the pastor. I love my church. You know, Isn't that how it's supposed to work? And then I call, and I'm like 11th, and you're like, yeah, uh, Thanks, Jonathan. (laughs) Oh, I want to love you. I do. But boy, do we ever all need it. See, I'm one man. You're an army of love. You're an army of love. You can do so much more than I ever could. You just do it with each other. That's great. So all of the healthiest churches, I think, have an army of people ministering and caring for each other in tandem with the pastors. Because I find one of the primary ways that I love you as the, uh, as the congregation is to study really well and to prepare sermons and teaching really well. And I can pour out my love in how I direct your mind and your heart to Christ. That's not only it, but that's a large part of what I do here. Pastoral care is for all of us. Please think about that. A healthy church also, last point, number 12, loves and serves their community as a known entity. Loves and serves their community as a known entity. When a church is active and visible in the community, it's a healthy church. Healthy churches do not give off the the vibe. It's all about us and you're not part of us. You know that little edge that some give? Healthy churches love their communities. They serve outside of their four walls and they touch people right around where the church is. And they communicate practically by their lives, we love you whether you come to Jerusalem Church or not. And we want to meet your needs. We want to help you grow. Lancaster County should know who Jerusalem Church is because we serve in the name of Jesus Christ. Non-Christians should know us because we love them and we serve them. Are we known at this church for how we love and serve our community? Have you heard, how many of you have heard of Love, Inc.? Love, Inc. They're active in Mannheim. They're active around Lancaster County. Tons of churches are involved in this. This is one way that our church could serve and have the the infrastructure to make it happen. We just need some leaders from Jerusalem Church that we could wait on that could step up to the plate and say, I'm willing to, to get involved with that and I'll make these service projects happen. And take ownership and lead us in that respect. We're, we're waiting. We need leaders. So talk to me if you're interested in that. Uh, There are other ways to be strategic as a church to love and serve the community in ways that open up doors to share Jesus Christ with people. And this is the long-term vision of our church. This is is where we're going. We just want to impact the, uh, the area. Paul told the Christians in Galatia, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Healthy churches care for the household of faith. They care for their own, like none other. However, they also look outside of themselves, and they do good to everyone. They do good to everyone, and they should continue to selflessly serve those around them who don't know Christ. This opens the door to evangelism. Paul told the Christians in Rome, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, do what? Give him something to drink. He tells them to overcome evil with good. How can we feed our enemies in Lancaster County? How can we give a cool drink 
to our enemies in Lancaster County? How can we overcome evil with good in Lancaster County? And we're a driving force of that in our community. How can we do that? And these are questions I'm asking. I don't know exactly. So that's why we need committed members to get behind this and say, I can help with that because I know something. I know a need in my neighborhood. My next door neighbor, and then bam, it happens. And we're doing awesome frontline ministry. We need leaders to mobilize these kind of ministries. One of the most healthy things that Jerusalem Church does is Crispus Attics. <laughs> Unbelievable ministry. Before we serve food to people in Lancaster City, we share some scripture, we share the gospel, we pray for the people, and we serve them food. Simple. Extremely powerful and effective and strategic for us as a church. Gain is another good example on a global scale impacting people we haven't even met. That's strategic. This month we are offering our community, particularly young families, a free corn maze and an awesome event for kids to come to and we're giving it away for free. It's costing us some money, but this is what tithe money gets. Free for the community, arms wide open, that's healthy, that's strategic, that's thinking. This is good. One more thought on this. I've seen a lot of church signs that say, everyone's welcome, or come on in, y'all. I don't know what they say. But, and my question is, are those signs actually helpful? I don't think they are. I think they're completely meaningless uh, and useless because a community knows that it's welcome and loved when we get outside and prove to them that they are loved. We have to put our money where our mouth is and serve. A sign's not going to do it, but personal contact, telling people, showing people, oh, that's effective, and you all an army of love. They need to see it and hear that we love them. One of our core values is missional living, which means we serve our community in the name of Jesus. We need to prove our love through our actions, not a sign. This is where our church is headed. This is what we want to do. Healthy churches, they roll up their sleeves and they do something in the name of Christ for someone else. And man, when we start doing more of that, amazing things. I guarantee that if we start taking these small mission trips that I want to see happen here, I just talked to some guys at Presbytery in New York City, and I want to take a group of men to New York City to hang drywall and to help with, uh, oh, what was the thing? Not the tsunami. It came through uh, what, Sandy, Hurricane Sandy. They're, they're devastated in pockets of New York City and they need help. EPC churches that we can just go up and help these guys and they're cool. They're cool guys. They've got work projects for us. So I want to take just a bunch of guys to go and I think when you men would respond to something like that and get up there and get your hands dirty for the glory of Jesus, you're going to find your faith challenged in a whole new way. You agree with that? That's how my life has been. Man, this is great. Roll up the sleeves, do something for Jesus. God loves our church. God has been faithful to our church. He is growing our church. God is providing for our church. God is using our church in people's lives. He is challenging us to step it up and be healthier. And there is a reason for it all, for the glory of King Jesus. Because when we do this kind of ministry, Jesus gets the credit because we've told people why we're here to hang drywall because we are doing it in the name of Jesus Christ and we want you to know him so we'll hang your drywall for you. You let us take care of that. As we grow healthier, God receives more glory in our midst. And if we respond to the challenges of God's word, not only will God receive glory, but we will be more satisfied 
in him. We will find joy coming from places we never saw coming. We're just like, wow, I never knew I could be this happy serving somebody. The healthier our church is, the more joyful and content we will be in God and the more effective we will be at reaching people for Christ. I think healthy churches need to strike a balance of really loving each other and creating that intimate family feel, yet reaching out and incorporating people who don't know that love into our love. And then we just bring them in and then we preach the truth. We never compromise and then hopefully they come to know Jesus Christ and then they're one of us and then they join the worshiping worshiping team and, and we're just like a big huge worship thing across Lancaster County because there are other faithful churches that are worshiping right now. We want more people in that so God gets more glory. This is what we're trying to do. Healthy churches are like healthy families. They're tight but they use that familial affection to love and serve people for the glory and fame of Jesus. How about we grow our family? How about we love uh, this is quoting Angels and I can't believe I'm doing this. Angels and Airwaves, one of the bands that I like, it's weird. Anyway, they're secular, all right. But anyway, they said, one of the songs is Spread Love Like Violence. And if you think about that, there's a lot of violence in this world. What if we say, all right, you want to do the whole violence game? We'll spread some love violence. We'll just love you to death. That may or may not be helpful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your incredible glory and we pray that you will lead us to uh, love people more, to welcome everybody and then also to love each other. We, we want to have a tight-knit fellowship here, but yet we want people to be brought into that fellowship. It's not us for and no more. It's yes, please come and be one of us. Know Christ so that you can know a fatherly love. So God, I, I just pray that you do some amazing things at Jerusalem Church, continue the trajectory that we're on. I just see your hand working in this church. So now, God, we're going to come to the table together and how appropriate it is to have communion this Sunday because we are brothers and sisters united by Jesus Christ in a common faith. And we come together to eat the bread, to feast on him by faith, and to drink the cup. Oh, God, would you minister to us right now in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.